HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by HH Bespoke Spirits, a fashionable portfolio of unique spirits, including bespoke gin, rum, and vodka, inspired by the rich cultural history and distinctive style of the Harlem Renaissance. Learn more at hhbespokespirits.com. This week on Meet and 3, we bring you stories about how Gen Z is different from their millennial predecessors through the lens of food. My knowledge of alcohol didn't really come from like Bud Light commercials or like Project X. Yeah, and that's my gripe with the platform as well, is that all these DIY videos, cooking videos, they're 20 seconds. What's one food item from your childhood that you wish you could have today? Dunkaroos, because they don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Although, the Dunkaroos Twitter was activated again a year ago, so it's only a matter of time. They've tweeted a couple times, it's pretty hype. Listen to Meet in 3, HRN's food news and storytelling roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Alessia Antonori. We'll talk to Alessia about life during COVID-19, Antonori wines, women in wine, and more. We'll taste the 2018 Guado Altasso Il Bucciate for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Alessia Antonori is a 26th generation winemaker at Marchese Antonori. The Antonori family has been committed to the art of winemaking for over six centuries since 1385 and is one of Italy's oldest and biggest family-run businesses. Alessia holds a degree in viticulture and is vice president of the family winery alongside her two sisters, Allegra and Alberia, and her iconic dad, Piero Antonori. Welcome to the Great Nation, Alessia. Good afternoon, Sam. We were scheduled to have you live in studio this week because you were in New York, but due to the COVID-19 virus, we're doing a remote broadcast via Zencaster, 
and you are currently in Italy. Is that correct? Yes. Unfortunately, we cannot be together because of what is happening. Yeah. Uh, it's very unfortunate. Where are on the on the other side where of are Italy you? now? So I'm in uh, Rome in this moment, and um, okay. I've uh, flied back more than a month ago. So uh, okay, um, we'll talk about that a little. Um, your dad, Piero, has been on the Great Nation. Um, I had the great fortune to sit down with him in person. And he gave us a little history of the family and of the winery. But I want you to give us a little background on your journey in life and wine that got you to your current position at Marchese Antonori. Um, so tell me a little about how you got to where you are. <laughs> okay. So I'll make it a little bit shorter, but obviously, as, okay. as, um, as uh, you have interviewed my father, you know a little bit of the history of the family, which goes back up. Uh, Right. More than 600 years. And I'm part with my other two sisters of the 26th generation of the company. And uh, for us, you know, this is a very uh, important milestone and also a big uh, challenge uh, to try always to maintain this for the future generations, which we will talk also about that later. Uh, so what right. regards my life in the, um, in the family uh, industry uh, it's um, it goes back um, uh, when I was I would say since I was six seven years old uh, that that because I remember that moment when I first uh, sipped uh, um, uh, not a glass of wine but if I put my uh, my uh, thumb in the, um, my finger in the in a glass of wine that my father gave me for Christmas. And then I I stuck that on my on my tongue, and I had my first experience in the wine world, and um, that I remember very well. So that was six seven when I was six seven years old, and uh, after that I've always been participating, at, you know, at the wine fairs, um, also trips with my father during the summer when he went to visit uh, uh, the you know the other wine areas that were also abroad, not only in Italy, and that. Uh, Maybe sometimes, luckily, we also fell in love, like uh, areas like Napa Valley or like um, uh, Chile, uh, where we have an estate too in the Maipo area. So also the experiences abroad. And um, uh, and then I had um, I started some um, uh, to, you know, during the summer when I had some free periods uh, from uh, school. I also done, um, I followed some harvest uh, because, you know, in Italy schools start a little bit later. So I had the opportunity to have uh, uh, the experience of uh, the harvest in August, beginning of September, which was always a good experience. And, um, and this until I was 18. And then when I was, um, when I turned 18, I had the options because my father never really obliged us, neither myself or, or neither my sisters, to you know to work in the company. Um, but he gave us always options, and um, my options, since I was very passionate about history of art, was to go to University of Art in Florence, or if not, follow more the winemaking aspect um, in going uh, in agriculture university to the agriculture university in Milan. So I gave him to the two options, and um, uh, I have to say, well, I really liked also the idea to go a little bit outside of Florence to live, and uh, he liked that. And uh, so I started um, uh, to, you know, with that experience, and it was really one of the most beautiful, uh, you know, experiences of my life during the, the university, during college. 
And I was living in Milan and also outside Milan to experiment a little bit in the winemaking and vineyard management. And that was from 18 to 23 years old. And after that, I then I started to work. You studied viticulture, right? Viticulture and winemaking. Yes. Right. And um, and uh, I was really the only one in the uh, in the family to go to university and to specialize in something you know like uh, like um, uh, viticulture and winemaking. And um, uh, then uh, after that, I had no doubts that I wanted to work in the company, in the family company, and. Um, it happened um, after immediately after I finished university, and uh, the beginning it was more um, I would say a more uh, winemaking uh, experience uh, for many years. I looked after a few companies, a few uh, estates that we have from uh, our estate in Chianti Classico, obviously as first experience, to our estate in Guadaltasso in Bulgari. And then also uh, one of the most interesting experiences too uh, was in Franciacorta, where we produce our sparkling wine, Meta Champenoise. Uh, and that I launched uh, that uh, winery and those wines that we produced from that estate in 99. And uh, after that, I, you know, since it's a family company, I thought it was very important to know a little bit different aspects of a company that wasn't only winemaking, uh, you know, so specialized. And um, so I asked to do a little bit of, to look after more sales and marketing. And I went to live in um, uh, Asia and was looking after uh, Middle East, Asia and Australia markets for marketing and communication and also sales for five years. And um, after that incredible experience, um, I went to the U.S. for three years to look after the U.S. market because obviously for us, the U.S. market is the most important market after the Italian uh, market. And um, what, what year was that? Uh, it was about yeah, 12, uh, 12 years, 12, 13 years ago. So okay. about, yeah, um, 2000, or like two, 2008, uh, 2007, right. 2010. Yeah. Right. And um, then I went back, um, I uh, had two children um, and I came okay. to live in, um, in Rome because my husband is from Rome and I look after a winery that we own uh, in the city of Rome and uh, for many years. And, um, and then lately, um, where in that winery, I, took, um, I really took care of um, uh, being a winemaker. I went back to my roots of winemaking and uh, nice. vineyard management and viticulturist. And, um, and then I had the opportunity for the last uh, three years to live, uh, to go back to the U.S. and to look after our property in Napa Valley called Antica and also uh, the U.S. Um, uh, market, which, uh, as I said, is very important for us. Were you based out of New York when you were in the U.S.? I've always been based out of New York uh, um, 10 years, 12 years ago, and also now because, right. Plus, right. you know, it's very comfortable because you're on the East Coast, uh, it's closer to Italy, and, right. uh, and then from there you can travel very well and easily. Um, you, you mentioned offline to me that you left to go back to Italy. Obviously, you went back because of the pandemic to be with the family, true? Yes, uh, absolutely, yes. Uh, I have to say that um, um, my uh, obviously the business aspect was the most important one, but uh, 
finished that I couldn't really do a lot of business in this period. And also right. when my son um, was homeschooling and uh, at a certain point they decided to don't reopen the schools anymore. At that point, I, I thought it was important to come back to Italy to also support my country and my company too and my family. But you, you imply to me that you may not come back so quickly. Is that true or not necessarily? There is a, a chance because uh, the idea was to, uh, to do a few years. And since um, my uh, son finished uh, right. one of part of the elementary school, it could be that we will be back here a few years and then maybe we will come back. So for me, it's really a journey back and forth uh, with right. the U.S. and Italy because, as I mentioned for us, it's an extremely important market. Um, it's very important, uh, uh, you know, the relations that the family has also beyond, obviously, the ones of the uh, sales sure. and importer and distributor. Um, so we think that it's uh, it's an extremely important role uh, to have a family member in the country. Uh, in the United States. Right. So uh, we will see, you know, what is happening nowadays. It's also right. Um, in a Play it by ear. Yeah, exactly. Play by ear. And um, the good thing is that I have a beautiful house uh, in New York and a beautiful house in Rome. I'm extremely lucky. And um, so I can go back and forth uh, without big, uh, not with, it's not a big effort for me. Sounds great. Now, you mentioned before uh, the sparkling wine. You were involved with that product. That was a launch. Did the family have a sparkling wine property before that, or you really launched it? No, so the, um, absolutely. Montenesa, what's it called? Montenesa is um, Montenesa. a state, and it's in the heart of Franciacorta. Our experience as a family uh, in sparkling wines goes back a lot of years because it was the project of my, grand, of my great-grandfather and my grandfather Right. They really were fascinated about um, method champenois, so second fermentation in the bottle wines, and they experimented a lot in our cellars in the Chianti Classico. Uh, at the beginning, with the not great results, and then we asked a chef de cave, a French chef de cave, to come to help us out, and uh, um, and then we started to really produce our Nature. Uh, which um, was a wine that has always been produced in our cellars in the Chianti Classico, but at the time we were buying, purchasing the grapes uh, from northern Italy. So we decided after more than 80, 80 100 years uh, to um, really uh, start to, um, uh, you know, uh, to focus on one area. And the most regarded area, in our opinion, to, for sparkling wines, Metho Champenoise, is the Francia Corta area, which is an area between right. uh, um, Milan and Venice in the Brescia, uh, close to the Brescia, the town of Brescia. And um, from there, we, uh, in 99, we purchased this beautiful estate from which we're producing all our sparkling wines, uh, Meta Champenoise, from there. Great. Um, I want to ask you how the pandemic has affected the family business. I want you to get into that a little and how it has affected you personally. I mean, you talked about it. I mean, you picked yourself up and went back to Italy. But tell me, you know, because Italy, Italy got hit first and it got hit hard. And then the U.S. got hit very hard. And, you know, it's an important market. So tell me some of the effects, you know, to this date that the pandemic has had on the business. You know, being that you go back to the 1300s, how are you handling it now? Um, so, uh I think that um, uh, for Italy, it has been very hard, especially in northern Italy. 
because uh, obviously the regions that were more affected were uh, the ones in the north. Um, in Tuscany and the southern of Tuscany, um, we have been in a lockdown all over Italy. So in a way of business, obviously it affected all the Italian market. Uh, but obviously in, the, uh, in all the rest, it affected mostly um, the northern part of Italy. Um, the difference that I've noticed between, for example, the Italian market business-wise, I'm saying, and uh, the U.S. market, for example, is that, um, you know, Italy had um, uh, the, um, I would say, the, uh, the experience that it has on retailers and especially the online business is uh, not as strong as in the U.S. So in Italy, we have continued to do a little bit of business, but really little uh, with, you know, right. uh, supermarkets and uh, uh, wine shops that were delivering here. You couldn't, uh, they weren't open, the wine shops. So it's, uh, that was the difference with, for example, for New York, between New York and, uh, and Italy. And um, so, you know, uh, it affected a lot because our business as Antinori, especially in, um, in Italy, is mostly uh, the restaurants, uh, the restaurant business. So the on-premise. On yes, on-premise, on-trade, yes. So Right, and th- those guys are virtually, you know, shut down. Yeah, yeah. Here, everything has been shut down until one week ago. And uh, you see that everything is starting again, which is, uh, I have to say, it's uh, a beautiful sensation because... Uh, uh, there's the hope, you know, uh, that uh, everything right. will restart. And the situation seems very good in this moment. Obviously, we are not out of it, but we are hoping that, uh, uh, you know, by July, everything will be, I'm not saying back to the normal, but semi back to the normal. Uh, said this, right. um, I think that, um, um, you know, what we are missing here in in this country, in Italy, is the tourism, because for now... Um, we have started to open, uh, especially for the uh, European countries, the frontiers um, a few days ago. So we'll start to see, we hope, uh, tourism soon because this is very important for our business and especially for our country. So, uh, Well, you're, you're going into a good season. Yeah. I mean, the summer, yeah. it's a good time it's to open up, right? It's a good time and everyone also very safely um, wants to really start to enjoy a little bit more life and outdoors, especially. So that is what is uh, happening in Italy. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, in the U.S. instead to finish it up. In the U.S. instead, we saw that obviously, um, you know, our business was mostly well, it was not mostly it was half and half, fifty percent uh, um, on premise and fifty uh, percent off premise. Um, but what we saw and what we did quite well, I have to say, is the all, all the online, um, which um, has helped us a lot. And we discovered a lot of new good partners that we didn't know in the past. And um, um, so um, the US uh, is certainly obviously suffering a lot. And uh, our business is suffering a lot there too. But we, see, we saw some uh, differences between the two countries. And the old world and the new world, I would say, on that aspect, uh, because the online mentality in the U.S. was, you know, people were more readier of, um, of uh, you know, the online business more than um, I would, right. especially Italy, more than Europe. So does that mean that in Italy, more than the United States, you're going to have to focus and sharpen your online presence a little more, make it a little better? Uh, I think that... Uh, 
um, there's, I would say that it's not, the Italian market is less ready than the US market uh, for the online, but certainly this, uh, what happened in the last um, months uh, will make it um, faster and it will grow. Right, but I, so it compared probably, I would say that the U.S. was uh, readier uh, for this uh, this business, this type of business. Right, right. Um, the Italian market, as far as use and habit, is a little behind the U.S. as far as how they use and perceive online. Correct. Absolutely. Yes. In my opinion. Now, what about the effects on the vineyards? You know, actually making wine. You know, things like that. Did the pandemic have an effect with uh, labor, no, really. um, getting materials? No, not really. We have um, uh, been continuing to work in, in you know, with a 10-15% of labor. But what, um, uh, when we were working outdoors, um, you know, in Italy, we could work. Agriculture went, uh, went on and there was same in part open so um the the season has been a great season until now so finger crossed that uh, it will continue until the end of the harvest um so it should be a very good year so that is a part of it at least that right um i guess timing is good because if it was during harvest or you know any busy time it would have more of an effect right yes let's uh yeah. Let's hope that um, you know. Yeah. It will it will continue like that. Yes. Yeah, I, I think it's going in the right direction. Yeah. Um, the family has been known, you know, especially your dad, for being bold and innovative. Um, you know, there's a whole list of things, you know, that are uh, cited to Antonori and things that your dad did in winemaking, marketing. Um, you know, and the list goes on and on. Do you think there'll be changes? to how you do your business because of the pandemic other than getting up to speed are there changes that you're going to have to make i think that um, what happened especially in our country and in our business for example or in a winery in a, in a property like ours um i think it will uh, you know in certain cases i think you you go back uh, to the basics sometimes uh, um, you know, when everything goes well, uh, as luckily we have been doing quite well in the last years, um, you, you take many things for granted in general. And so I think this right. is very important for everybody who works with us, my, my you know, my uh, colleagues and my and our family too. I think that's very important. And also, I think that um, um, it took time for every one of us to think a little bit more on the future and um and i think also to make our um businesses and also our country a less, maybe using a little bit less bureaucracy because italy has always been very overwhelmed by bureaucracy too much in my opinion uh, so to make it a little bit uh, cleaner and a little bit right. uh, more effective and uh um, maybe sometimes a little bit easier and practical, which is um, very important. So I think it's a lesson for everybody at the end. Right. Uh, well, well said. Yeah. Um, you talked about how important restaurants are to you know the Antonori business. How going forward can you help restaurants? I'm. I think that uh, um, the, our friends, the restaurateurs, 
um, which have been friends since ever, um, will, uh, you know, will certainly, who will, I hope many of them, most of them will remain there, will continue their businesses because it's fundamental for us and for them, especially, um, right. that it's a collaboration. So they will need help. We'll give them help. And, uh, I think that's, those are the relations that you have to maintain. And for us, our priority. Right. right. Um, that sounds good. Um, it's, it's extremely rare for three women to be running a winery, you know, any size, anywhere, um, no less in Italy. Um, do you think women, do you think as women, you and your sisters have a different approach to the business? I think women in general can give different approaches. And I think it's uh, right and normal that it's like that in every business. Uh, in the wine business, I've always found that um, being a very, ma- especially in Italy, very male-concentrated uh, business, um, it certainly gave a lot of difference in the last 15, 20 years. And uh, because now there are many women involved in the wine businesses in general. And I say that because not only under certain aspects, but under many, for example, sales, uh, for example, in winemaking, um, uh you know, in marketing. So I think that uh, it's essential to have also women in uh, in our businesses and uh, right. in the wine business. So I, I see that in the future, there should be, you know, women and uh, men. So, uh, we are three um, sisters. And uh, so it's something extremely, I would say, different and uh, not probably expected from my father at the time. Um, right. Uh, uh, especially because we are talking about, you know, the 70s, the 80s when we were born. And um, in that period, the women weren't really considered part of uh, the wine business in general. So for him, it has been also very challenging because he wasn't sure that if we were interested in uh, working in the business. So uh, right. my sister Albiera was the first one and she started immediately after she finished, she graduated her, um, her high school. Uh, but, uh, then we there were other two, so, you know, it wasn't obvious, uh, but then he saw that we were passionate and we really liked, uh, uh, to, you know, to be part of the family and part of the business. And so now we are looking at on the 27th generation. So that's right. the future. So there's definitely been a generational shift, certainly at Antonori. And, you know, as I talk to people during the years of the show, there's just been a generational shift in wine, um, which is a nice thing. Do you feel that the um, gender shift towards women has been quick enough and big enough? I mean, are, you, you cited that, you know, more women are in wine sales, all of that stuff. Um, but do you feel that... Um, I. I think it's, it's fair and equitable. It's uh, you know I'm a I'm a woman, so it's never right. <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, absolutely. There's been a big uh, shift um, towards uh, also the women figure, and uh, I think uh, especially in the last ten fifteen years, um, there's many there are many women involved in our business, and I think yeah. Uh, I, I, I think a lot of women that came into the business came in because they were in spousal situations. Um, I think what's nice is now there's generational um, growth of which, you know, you guys are the best example. So that, that's a great thing. Um, let's talk a little wine. 
Um, I've noticed talking to, you know, I talk to a lot of Psalms. I talk to a lot of winemakers, journalists. Um, Chianti Classico has always been a great wine. But I get this feeling and sense that it's coming back into favor. Not that it ever really went out, um, but it's it's having a moment. You know, when I ask uh, Psalms about wines, you know, they start talking about favorite wines being Chianti Classicos and you know, there's well-made wines and there's great values there. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yes. And uh, in fact, it's uh, the biggest challenge for our generation, the 26th, and also probably the 27th and maybe onwards, uh, to go back to the Chianti Classico. So in our family, you know, we come from the Chianti Classico. So it's really our heart, our soul. Uh, we are from there, and we have always been focusing uh, on on that on those estates in the Chianti Classico that we own since many centuries. But um, you know, when my father came along, and um, he went a little bit against the rules uh, in the 1970s with the creation of the wine uh, that you probably know, Tignanello. Um, so right. we started to really, and it was the, the beginning of a category of the Super Tuscans. So, right. Explain to people quickly what you know, what a super Tuscan is in Italy, you know, compared to the traditional wines for many years. Yes. So uh, super Tuscan is certainly a category that has been extremely innovative in the 1970s, late 1960s. Um, my father is one of the figures that has been very important in this uh, revolution, or I would call it maybe also renaissance of Italian high quality wines, because uh, at the time Italy was known after the Second World War to be producing more quantity than quality. And um, my father really believed that he wanted to focus on quality. So what he did with the Tignanello was that he went against the rules and he declassified the Chianti Classico. He produced a wine that, and he declassified the Chianti Classico um, to a table wine, vino da tavola. And um, it was this why, because he decided to produce a wine with a blend that wasn't admitted by law uh, by the Chianti Classico. So, um, and that blend was Sangiovese, for in that case of the Tignanello, was 80% Sangiovese, 20% of Cabernet. And by law, only 15% of other grape varieties were admitted. So this wasn't, couldn't be called, this wine, a Chianti Classico. So um, right, eh? he decided to do that. And uh, it was, then he, in, in Italy, not many people understood it. Uh, but then he came to the United States, introduced it to the market, and they called it Super Tuscan, because it was... As, you know, a big wine from being a vino da tavola, being from all over Tuscany. In our case, it was only from the Chianti Classico. But uh, right, and they be they became wildly popular. Yeah, it's and now and then after uh, immediately was a category. So f the Super Tuscan that we uh, uh, produced was the first Super Tuscan from the Chianti Classico area. But in Tuscany, there have been great uh, other producers uh, that. Um, uh, have produced a great wine. Now it's a category since many years. So going back to what I was saying before is that um, we started to focus on a blend of Sangiovese and Cabernet, uh, always from that area. So uh, now uh, we obviously we are continuing to produce our wines like the Super Tuscans. Uh, but um, in the last years, we are going back more and more on that area. We have three estates. One is called Peppoli, one Tignanello, one Badia Passignano. But lately, in the last years, we purchased also 
other uh, estates uh, in um, the other areas of the Chianti Classico because we want to really show the different expressions of the Sangiovese grape variety, which uh, is for me one of the most interesting varieties in uh, produced in the world and uh, uh, also most challenging grape varieties. So um, my dream is uh, in a few years uh, to show uh, in, a, in, a, in a tasting and a map uh, the different areas of the Chianti Classico and how they can be different and give different results and different expression of one grape variety, only maybe sometimes being a few miles uh, far away from each other. So um, I think this is very important. And I believe that, as you were mentioning, uh, Psalms are more and more interested because uh, I think consumers are more, um, uh, certainly uh, have a little bit more know-how and more, um, uh, they know more about, uh, um, uh, you know, they want to know a little bit more, they want to learn a little bit more. So I think that that is very important because Italy can show how unique certain grape varieties can give and give great results from that. So you mentioned a few estates. I mean, it would probably take about two shows to talk about all the Antonori estates. Um, tell me, uh, I mean, there's at least eight estates that I know of. Um, tell me, is there anything new going on? I think you mentioned just, you know, a few seconds ago, you know, how Chianti Classico is a priority and, you know, how you can express it from different regions. Um, anything else new going on? Um, I think that um, we are always experimenting because our family is known to be extremely traditional, but also very innovative. And experimentation is really our, it's in our DNA all the time. Um, so there are many uh, experimentations and uh, new different grape varieties that we are always trying but as I mentioned, uh, Sangiovese is our real true priority and right. show this, these differences in the future and different expressions is really important. So I think in this generation um, with my sisters is our priority to show how the great wines from the, uh, from the Chianti Classico uh, can evolve also on time and also give uh, great results immediately. Are you always looking at acquisition or you now work with what you have? You never know with my father because... Right, if something cool comes up. <laughs> exactly, and also because, uh, as I was mentioning at the beginning, uh, when I, I've done a lot of traveling with him and uh, I, you know, I saw him also falling in love with these new wine areas, especially you know, abroad. And um, so for us, it's Well, more talk than... about that. Talk about... Talk about some of the um, properties that are outside of um, Tuscany quickly. Uh, outside of Tuscany and in Italy or outside? Um, uh, the whole world. Yeah. So um, a few words. Uh, um, outside of Tuscany, we have a beautiful property uh, called Prunotto, which is in the Alba area. And my sister Albiera has always taken care of it, uh, being the first <laughs> And um, it's a winery that is a um, uh, very special winery, very traditional winery in uh, the Alberia, producing obviously Barolo and Barbarescos. And, uh, Prunotto? Prunotto, exactly. Right. And, um, and then also we have a, a very important property for us, um, which is called Tormaresca. And it's important because we started 20 years ago. And I went there as a trip with my father the first time. And, uh, uh, you know, Puglia, uh, it's, it's situated in Puglia, which is the new, you know, new emerging region 
in Italy. Right. Um, and at the time, I was really concentrating on table grapes and quantity production. So we wanted to do something different. And uh, we started to produce very interesting Aglianicos, Negramaros, and Primitivo from there. And um, I think uh, that is also a very interesting uh, region for the future. And this is what regards Italy, if I'm not forgetting some parts. Uh, but um, And then we go abroad. Abroad, uh, as I was mentioning, my father really fell in love with a property in Napa Valley in the beginning of the 80s. The property is called Antica, which is the short name also for Antinori, California, and also means uh, Antico, which is uh, old um, in Italian. And it's on the hillside of Napa, uh, so a different area from the Napa Valley um, on the Atlas Peak District. And uh, in my opinion, it's one of the most beautiful estates that we own. Um, and, uh, you know, that's very special. And from there, we produce a wine that is, as we like it, is a blend of old world and new world. And I think this is very important in all our experiences and our also collaborations that we have outside Italy, for example, uh, it's a matter of exchanging opinions and uh, learning also from other very interesting and great wine areas of the world. So the experience of uh, Napa, the experience in Chile, in the Maipo area with a winery called Araste Pirke, where we produce uh, uh, Cabernet, Carmener and Sauvignon, for example, um, or Washington State uh, with a great collaboration with our importer and producer Chateau Saint-Michel, um, with a winery called, called Solare. So, you know, these are uh, experiences and uh, they are very, very important. And also they give the idea of what our family is really like because uh, uh, we could be uh, many Florentines, very maybe also maybe closed as mentality. Instead, my father has never been that like that. He has been very curious and went uh, abroad in the 1960s and brought back what he learned from abroad to the Cante Classico, for example. He, he's put down a big footprint. Um, Alessia, we have to take a quick break. We're talking to Alessia Antonori from Marchese Antonori. Um, when we come back, um, there's a bunch of other things that you're working on that I want to talk to you about. You're listening to The Great Nation on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. <music> This episode is brought to you by HH Bespoke Spirits, a fashionable portfolio of unique spirits, including bespoke gin, rum, and vodka. The family behind the award-winning boutique and clothing brand Harlem Haberdashery has expanded to distill spirits inspired by the rich cultural history and distinctive style of the Harlem Renaissance. The black and family-owned HH Bespoke Spirits are available at bars, restaurants, and retailers across the United States. Learn more at hhbespokespirits.com and follow them at hhbespokespirit. Okay, we're back. We're back with my guest, Alessia Antonori. Um, Alessia, I wanted to talk to you about something that is, I think, close and dear to you, and I think it's something you're working on now. The family has always loved and supported the arts. And I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, you're working on an interesting project. Can you tell me about yes. it? it um, you know, I've been very lucky in my life because I had two passions. Uh, one, uh, obviously, is wine. And the second one is um, 
uh, art, contemporary art. So um, I've been very lucky because I can, uh, um, in a way, <clears throat> link the two passions together and uh, work them with them. In a way, it's not working. It's a, it's a pleasure. So, you know, um, better than that, you can ask for no nothing else. So, um, uh, yes, when we built um, uh, many years ago our new winery in the Chianti Classico, my father asked me if um, uh, I could um, take care also of the artistic aspects because uh, we as a family have always been collecting art since the renaissance and my family right. one of my ancestors has uh, always been involved in commissioning pieces art pieces by great artists in the 1500s so um, my father wanted to show this because we believe that wine is art and also um, you know our family has always been surrounded by amazing art imagine living in Florence it has been and we live in Palazzo Antinori, which is, um, you know, built by two great architects. So uh, for us, it was very important to show this and represent this. So um, I showed in a small, uh, I would say, chronological um, room, um, our, the art that we collected throughout the years and throughout the centuries. But then I thought also that, uh, you know, what we are showing was part of the past and uh, the building in which we were showing it the winery is certainly was certainly very contemporary and that all this one day will be the past so i thought it was very important to show also what we were doing uh from there onwards uh with contemporary artists and that we believed in the project in the art project in general so in that moment we decided to uh start the Antinori Art Project. And um, with the opening of the winery, uh, we asked three artists uh, to, um, uh, sorry, two artists to, to um, do some site-specific projects. And um, my idea was every year to ask one uh, artist to um, uh, come to the winery and um, <clears throat> for, you know, um, understand a little bit our project and what we were doing um, in our world too, and uh, to a little bit, I would say, focus on certain themes, themes that could be obvious ones like nature, um, archives, history, tradition, um, time. Um, and uh, most of them, I have to say, that came throughout the years, were very interested also in time, for example, and uh, obviously history too. Um, and also nature. So I think that these were the themes that attracted most of the artists that came. And uh, we have done amazing projects, all site-specific, um, that, um, you know, uh, are all around the winery. So when you come to visit the winery, since it's open to the public, you can see, obviously, uh, all the... So, so it's, it's a permanent showing. It's a permanent collection. Yes that anyone who visits can see it. Um, and that's in the Chianti Classico. Um, has your dad turned 80 yet? Yes, he has turned two years. Okay. Is, he, um, is he pulling back a little or is he as active as uh, ever? Uh, he is um, uh, he's very, uh, very active and we, we are very happy that he is active. Uh, but um, in the last year and a half, he decided to um, Pass the presidency to my sister Albiera. So we are me and my sister Allegra. We are vice presidents, and my father, and my sister Albiera is president of the company. Uh, but he is an honorary president, and uh, 
he is extremely acting, extremely present, and uh, lucky. Right. lucky. We we're very lucky that it's like that. That's great. Um, like I said, I had the opportunity to sit with him and then saw him again at the Naples Winter Wine Festival. Mm. And it's always a pleasure. And whenever I'm with him, he's always running off to play golf, which is nice to see that he's still playing. What? Um, Alessia, we do a thing called the wine list. Um, we do it every week on the show. We ask all our guests the same questions. I'm going to give you five questions. Don't dwell on them. It's spontaneous. Um, we post these answers on our social media because our listeners love to hear, you know, what our guests are drinking and what they're doing. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? What's in your fridge? What are you trying? What's interesting you? You know, have the seasons pushed you to different wines? Tell me what you're drinking now. Season is pushing me on more on white wines uh, or rosé wine, and uh, you know because uh, it's we are in June, so obviously it's more in pushing in that direction. Um, I'm always very. I, I'm I'm liking more and more in the last years very fresh white wines. Uh, uh, possibly also with stainless steel, young style, very fruity. Uh, my, I have to say that my husband convinced me on that a few years ago. Well, give me, give me an example of something that you uh, like. Like wines from uh, uh, Northern Italy, from Alto Adige, for example, white wines from Alto Adige, okay. uh, Pinot Bianco, for example, from Alto Adige, some Rieslings also from Austria that are maybe are not as fresh because they have more... Right. There's more, but also very interesting. So more particular and small, um, I would say smaller producers that uh, are wines that are fresh. I, lo I love, I, I really love the freshness of uh, white wines because I think especially in the summer, uh, they're perfect, you know, with a nice fish, seafood. Well, that, that's the next question. So good answer on the first one. Question number two is, do you have a favorite wine and food pairing? Not something you eat every night or all the time, but is there just something food and wine-wise that's just the perfect pairing? I love French, for example, uh, sparkling wines like Franciacorta, for example, like a Satin, which is like a Blanc de Blanc, uh, right. with a nice uh, um, seafood tempura, which is great. Ah, the, the sparkling goes great yeah. with fried food. Yes, especially Franciacorta because... Uh, they uh, produce, uh, the wines are very mineral, so they go extremely well with food. Right. Good answer. All right. Third question. And this may be tough, so I think I may stick to Italy and your environs. Do you have a favorite wine restaurant or bar, wine bar, you know, where the selection is great, the people are terrific? You know, they're educated. The environment is just fun to be in. Are there any places like that? Florence, Chianti, Rome? One, of my, favorite, uh, one of my favorite restaurants, um, I would say, in the world is a seafood restaurant, talking about summer. And uh, it's called the La Pineta. And it's um, a great... Spell it for me. La, L-A, and then Pineta, right. which is P-I-N-E-T-I. -I. Yeah. Hi. Sorry, T.A. Pineta. And um, it's, um, it's uh, in the Bulgari area, in Bibona exactly, so 10 minutes from our property in Guadaltasso uh, by car. And uh, it's a special place because it's a quite small place and it's on the beach. And um, it, um, 
um, it's special in our hearts because uh, we have always we grew, grew there since we were little. Uh, we went there and it was uh, you know less known many years ago, and now it became right. famous. Unfortunately, the owner uh, passed away last year, which was very sad. But uh. but his uh, kids are continuing, and uh, so it's very important you know to support them because uh, it's a really unique place. That's exactly the answer I was looking for. All right, fourth question. Do you have a favorite all-time wine? When I started asking the question, it pointed more towards what was the rarest, most expensive wine that you ever tasted. But the question has morphed into, you know, what is an important wine in your life? What was a, a life-changing wine? You know, is there a notable wine um, that you had you know, through your travels? Um, so I'm, um, I've been present for a few times of this organization called Primum Famiglia Vini, uh, which uh, are 12 of the most, uh, I would say, known, prestigious wine families in, um, uh, in the old world, so European. Uh, there was also, at the time, also Opus One, but they have to be owned by a family, so unfortunately they're not anymore with us. So we have... Um, uh, beyond the many other uh, things that we do, but we have a, a treat that every Christmas we exchange wine and um, between each other's. So I had the opportunity to taste some unique wines since uh, uh, part of members are like from Vega Sicilia to Chateau Mouton to Drouet right. to Port Roger to, uh, you know, they're the great wine producers. So um, certainly, yes, I had uh, the opportunity maybe to don't taste one particular wine but uh, uh, over a certain vintage but certainly uh, many um, great uh, producers uh, that are family and friends uh, for many christmas I, I had i had the good fortune to attend the last one which was at le bernardine in new yes, york that i was um, my sister was there and your, your sister was there i got a chance to chat with her and you are 100 percent correct because the the wines there, the quality, the names, the history, and what you you know mentioned was all the family members were there. You know, all the next generations. You know, along with you know the uh, parents, which was very nice to see. So I think you're correct that any one of those wines at any time would be as good as anything. So I will, uh, I will take that as an answer. The last question, and I think you can help me, um, you know, because you've been in marketing and sales. Um, I always ask my guests to recommend the best wines for around $15, $20 American. Now, here's the setup. My kids are in their mid-20s. You know, they're starting to go to dinner parties and they have to bring gifts. They can't bring a crappy supermarket bottle of wine and they can't afford a $40 bottle of wine. So what are good wines in the $15, $20, $22 range um, that are good value and good wine? And you can give me a category. You can give me a specific maker like Muscadet in France is a white wine. It's delicious and it's cheap. Um, what are you thinking of for a red and a white? So you you are not saying that they don't have to be U.S. wines. They can be from all, they could be anything all around the world. Anything. Uh, I you know I, I don't want to answer your question, but I think Chianti in <laughs> some way no, falls in there. But you answer the question. I, I'm a little bit you know uh, in a position that uh, is obviously pro Italy, and especially in this moment, I have to say. 
That's fine. Uh, so absolutely, it, it could be all Antonori. No, 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 just no. be specific. Uh, no, I think the category is very important. So uh, the Chianti Classico, uh, also the entry level Chianti Classico, it doesn't have to be a reserve, right? But also the entry level Chianti Classico is very. So that's our red. Yeah. And uh, now, the, give me a white. Uh, you know, similar type of wine. Uh, for the whites, uh, uh, very interesting. A little bit more, I would say, uh, particular. For example, is the Vermentino grape variety. I think the Vermentino from Tuscany or Liguria is extremely interesting. And there are good producers that are making producing these fresh, nice, crispy white wines, perfect for the summer. So, uh, do you have a producer that you like? Um, uh, the, I know. I think more than one producer. I think the Bulgaria area is doing a lot, very well with the Vermentino in general. We were the first ones, but uh, many others are producing really interesting um, Vermentinos in the area lately. So I think the from the wines Vermentinos from Bulgaria are very interesting. I, as opposed to like Liguria, I agree with you. I think they're wonderful. Uh, Sardinia, Liguria, they're very interesting. They're very different, but I think from uh, right. from uh, Bulgaria, they're doing a very good job. They're, they're great values. They're well-made, the good ones, and they're great with food. Um, terrific job on that. Like I said, Alessia, I'm going to post those so people can get some insight into some of the wines that you've been tasting and drinking. Um, we always wrap up the show, and this is one of my favorite parts of the show, with a segment called the Weekly Wine Sip. Um, where every week we taste a different wine on air. Um, for our weekly wine sip this week, of course, I asked if you would be so kind as to offer and recommend an Antonori wine. So you and I are going to be tasting the 2018 Guadalaltasso Il Bruciato. That's I-L-B-R-U-C-I-A-T-O. Um, Alessia, can you tell me a little more about this wine? This wine has been one of the most successful wines of uh, our family in the last uh, 10, 15 years uh, because um, uh, the first vintage was uh, 2002. It was a very difficult vintage uh, um, because uh, <clears throat> it was a very rainy vintage and uh, we didn't produce the, the majority of our crew wines, our top wines. And uh, we decided to, for example, Guadaltasso, which is one of our, at least we consider one of our top wines, uh, we didn't produce at the vintage. So we decided to produce a second wine, you know, as an experiment. And uh, br uh, Bruciato is, um, means burnt, and it comes from a forest inside the, the property of Guadaltasso that has been uh, burnt by a fire like 100, 200 years ago. And uh, also, in, me, in my opinion, and I always say it, for me, it has been burnt on the market because this wine was sold as an experiment and we thought we would have sold all the, all the production in one year, to one year and a half. Instead, in six months, it was finished. The year after, 2003, where we produced a little bit less because it was a very warm vintage, we, like, it was all allocated uh, before selling it. So it really uh, was a great success and uh, because it was um, from Bulgari and uh, there was that type of category. There weren't so many wines produced at the time and, um, and it was considered very well made. So luckily. So um, then we... So now you make it every year. Yeah, we make it every yep. year and uh, it's uh, booming. Also in the US, it's doing very well. And I'm very proud of that because I remember very well 12 years ago when I really pushed also our importer, our distributors to really believe in that wine. And now it's very successful. 
All right, so let's let's evaluate it. Let's you do you have some in front of yes, you? Yes, absolutely. All right, so let's let's give it a sniff and let's throw it over the tongue and let's evaluate it. So first of all, color. It's a deep yeah. dark purple, right? Deep, uh, purple. Uh, you know, this uh, wine is um, is a blend of uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Syrah. So it has no Sangiovese. No, no Sangiovese in Bulgarian. No okay. Uh, okay. in the past but we decided to focus on these grape varieties that were really the best to give the best results in that area and um uh, so you have that deep color from the cabernet and and also right. um in the, <clears throat> the this in the color and then um in the all right so wait don't get ahead okay. of me so put it up to your nose and tell me your descriptors you get on the nose for this particular vintage um it's um I would say a, a, quite a concentration also, a little bit of uh, um, violet, a little bit, but also mm -hmm. um, a little bit of, I would say, a slightly touch of a little bit of chocolate also. And, um, yes, dark fruits, right? And dark, and dark fruits. Uh, um, so, but you know, it's a wine that uh, can um, age. So mm -hmm. it's... It, that I wanted to ask you that, even though it's not Guado or no, it's it can This is a wine you, you could put down for how long? For a few years. I've tasted the other day. Uh, um, it was a two thousand and eleven, I think, and uh, it was very good still. So you know, sure. it's a wine that we don't want it really particularly to age, but it ages very well. Right. And uh, it, and now it's fine with yeah. a couple of years. Yeah, on it. yeah, absolutely. And 2018 was quite yeah. young in a way, but you know, it's um, uh, you can really, you can really appreciate it. So it's a good thing of this wine that you can appreciate. It, it can be a very structured wine, but also very easy to be drunk. Right. Yeah. So now, raise your glass, throw it over your tongue, and. The mouthfeel, how would you rate the mouthfeel? To me, it's a medium plus. What do you think? Uh, it's, a, it's a wine, yeah, I would say medium plus, and it's certainly a wine that you can, after, you, you can taste the aftertaste, you know, which for a little... All right, so tell me, tell me your palate descriptors on this wine. Are they similar to the nose, and are there different ones on the palate? I would say that it's quite similar to to the um, to the nose because uh, that chocolate and also uh, black fr uh, black fruits have um, right. You can feel you can continue to taste that also in the palate, which uh, yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah, what? Yeah. Tell me. You can answer this. Tell me what foods would properly be paired with this wine. So obviously, I'm talking more about Italian food, uh, Tuscan, what kind? Tuscan food also. And for example, this is perfect uh, with a nice uh, pappardelle with wild boar with cinghiale, for example. Right. Um, it could hold up to the sauce. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, I would say that it would be perfect also with, uh, you know, a nice chicken. Uh, so a lighter, you know, lighter type of taste. Um what about steak or a hamburger? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Okay. Hamburger. I just wanted to make sure. Um, it's it's a really it's a wine that can uh, adapt for many um, situations and many tastes. So it's a wine that can be a younger style of wine, but it can really it has an intense structure. So that's a great thing. Yeah. And also, you know, it's um it's a wine that has a great value for money. 
And uh, I agree with that. I'm glad that um, we're tasting this wine. We could have very easily tasted some terrific Chiantis, but this gets you to a level where it's not that expensive, but the quality far exceeds, you know, cost. I mean, this is a special wine. Um, so that's the 2018 um, Il Bucciato um, from Guadalatasso, you know, from Antonori. Um, Alessia, we have to wrap up. It's been almost an hour. Um, let me do a little closing, and I want to get some info, info from you. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. On Instagram, we're at SBenRuby. And on Twitter, we're at BenRuby. You could always use the hashtag The Grape Nation on both. As I mentioned earlier, we'll post Alessia's wine list answers, and I will also give you the information um, on our weekly wine sip, the uh, Il Bucciato, on all our social media sites. Um, Alessia, if we want to find you and Antonori Wines on social media, um, where should we look? Um, on our um, uh, in Instagram uh, and also our Facebook uh, everything related also to the Chianti Classico winery, which is called Chianti Cla uh, Antinori, uh, Marchese Antinori in the Chianti Classico website. So you will uh, you will find everything there. And um, yeah, we are you know we are starting on the social media. We are not uh, as uh, efficient. You're not know. you're not where you should be. I know, I know, but you know. Well, get going on that because it's very important. Very important. No, no, but we're doing a good job <laughs> since a two. Yeah, I, I will. I will post, um, you know, the sites too, along with the wine list and the wine sip answers. I'll post um, uh, all the other yeah, information. Um, Alessia, I want to thank you very much for taking time out. I want everyone to realize that Alessia is sitting in uh, Italy. I am in New York, and we're talking about a six-hour difference. So Alessia is just about to hit midnight. Mm -hmm. So thank you for staying up and tasting wine with me. Um, thank you to our engineer, Amanda, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, and good evening. And um, yeah, stay safe. Don't see you soon. Don't switch out yet. Um, just wait a couple of minutes. Um, Amanda, are you there? All right, we just have to wait for Amanda to come on. Um, I hope uh, Alessia too. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.